doing in the church. Praise God for who he is. We're about uh, waist deep, about halfway through our series called Made to Worship, with the number two, so you know we're cool. And we've, uh, we've been just talking all about worship. We've defined worship as any expression of adoration or reverence in response to God's presence in your life. It's when you respond to God by showing him adoration or reverence. We talked in the first week about how idolatry is the enemy of worship, true worship. Idolatry is when a thing, something, gets the adoration or reverence that is owed to God, the, the reverence that, that God deserves. We talked about how sacrifice, namely today in the church when we give the offering at the end of the, the service, how a sacrifice is a form of worship because you're giving back to the Lord from what he's given you and you're able to revere him for what he provides and praise him for what he's given you. Last week we talked about how prayer is a form of worship and it's relational. It indicates the kind of relationship you have with God. And I encourage you to consider fasting after you talk to your doctor. After you talk to your doctor. Consider fasting as a way to enhance your prayer life. But we all know, you and I know, that when we talk about worship, when the word worship comes up in church, what are we talking about? Music. We're talking about singing. That's what we're talking about. When, we, when I say, like, oh, hey, how was, how was worship today? I'm asking you about the music. And if you come up to me and say, oh, I missed worship today, you weren't saying that you, you missed every, every worshipful element that happened this morning. You're saying that you missed the music or that you, you came late or something. When we talk about worship in church, usually we're talking about music. And that's okay, but one of my goals in doing this series is to expand our understanding of what worship is so that we can go from thinking that worship is just the music to what the Bible says about worship. So that when we're talking about worship, it's not just the music, it's the full spectrum of things that the Bible says are worshipful for God. Because the reality is that in the worship service, from the moment you walk in the door, everything that we do is designed to facilitate you worshiping God. From the donuts and the coffee and the bulletin to the greeters and the ushers to the fellowship time that we get together, the songs, yes, but the prayer also, the welcoming time, the baby dedications, videos, the offering, the, the things that we, all of the things that we do in the worship service is worship. It's supposed to be worship in different ways, at different times, in different flavors. But it's all supposed to be worship. But again, the one that gets the most attention is music. Why is that? That's because music is great for worship. It is just fabulous for facilitating our worship of God. Before we talk about why, let's do some history. Real quick, okay, I promise. Real quick. In terms of music, 
The first musician mentioned in the Bible, his name was Jubal, like Jubilee. And it comes from Genesis 4. So talking about very early on. He played the pipe, not like, not like some of you play the pipe. He played the pipe like the do-do-do-do-do pipe. He played the lyre, L-Y-R-E, which is a forerunner to the guitar or the harp. Um, early in, in uh, Hebrew music, you have the shofar, the ram's horn that was used. You've got horns and wood and uh, wind instruments, and you've got um, stringed instruments all being used in music. But music wasn't really about worship. It wasn't really used in worship very early on um, in, in Hebrew history. It was used more for festivals and uh, to celebrate uh, military victories and things like that. It wasn't really used in worship until Moses. And then after the Exodus, you see a shift, and there's more singing and dancing used in worship, but it's not, not really. It wasn't a big deal. It's there, but not, it's not a significant part of worship. It doesn't become a significant formal part of Hebrew worship until the time of David and really the time of the temple when you have more music coming out and people really formally uh, and significantly using songs to worship God. And you understand that um, when you look in the Bible, in fact, if you grab your Bible and you open it right to the center, that you're probably going to hit the book of Psalms. The Psalms are a collection of songs. There's 150 of them, and they were written for the purpose of, of, of worship. They were essentially poems that were meant to be done with musical accompaniment. Uh, some people call the, the book of Psalms the Psalter, P-S-A-L-T-E-R, um, but it's just a collection of songs. A lot of them were written by David. And a couple interesting things. One is that the word psalm in Hebrew um, comes from the word solo, which means to pluck. So the psalms were written to be um, sang to uh, a plucking instrument, like a guitar or a harp or something like that, particularly the, the lyre. Um, so it, it comes from the, the word to pluck. And psalms in their time were a brand new kind of worship. Because in Hebrew history, they hadn't really used music in a formal way. And so when the, when the psalms were being created and they were being implemented, it was a brand new thing. It had not been used historically in the same way. So this is, this is a new kind of worship. And we've talked about this before. I'm not, I'm not going to beat it up. But take a second to remember that new isn't necessarily bad. Amen? It's not necessarily bad. God uses new things to glorify himself all the time. In Isaiah 43, the Lord said, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Can't you see it? The answer sometimes is no, I can't see it. Sometimes. But the answer should be yes. The answer is that we should say, yes, we can see it. We should be looking for the new thing that God is using to glorify himself. But let's get back to the, the Psalms themselves. And let's start talking about why music is so great in worship. Just a couple observations. Those 150 Psalms became the songbook, essentially the hymnal for Hebrew worship, for Israel. 
And they express a bunch of different kinds of emotions and responses to who God is and what God is doing. The Psalms aren't just songs of praise. They are songs of praise, but they're also songs of thanksgiving and songs of lament and sadness and songs of hope and songs of obedience and trust. They, they cover a wide range of responses and what you could be singing to God. And that's one of the great things about using music in worship is it's got a lot of dimensions to it. It can be used in a lot of different ways, like prayer. Last week we talked about how, because prayer is essentially you just talking to God, you could talk to God about whatever you want. So prayer can do a lot of different things. Well, songs and music, they can do a lot of different things. They can cover a lot of feelings. And different kinds of songs can resonate within us in different ways. Does that make sense? So um, let me give you an example. Some songs tell a story. Some songs... They just they walk you right through a story, and it's beautiful. And you get a beginning, a middle, and an end, and you just walk through a, a, a narrative that's honoring to God. Other songs want you to land on an issue or a thought and just sit there for a while. And you know what? Both of those are good for you. Those are both good for you in different ways, but it's like, it's like how reading a chapter of the Bible is good for you. Can I get an amen? amen? Reading a chapter of the Bible is good for you, okay? But sometimes reading a verse and just dwelling on it and just thinking about all the different things that are happening just in that one thought, that's also really good for you, amen? amen. And the, Biblically, that's called meditation, if you just take a thought about God and you just sit on it for a while and let it really sink in, that's good for you. Both of them are good for you. And in the same way, a song that will walk you through a story, that will tell you a story, that's really good for you. But a song that causes you just to take a thought and sit on it for a while, it's also good for you. They're good for you in different ways, but they're both good for you. And we get that in music. One of the unique things about using music in worship, one of the ways that it's special, is that we get to offer the song to God like a prayer. But when we present the prayer to God wrapped in this creative expression, this music that, that isn't... God made us. He's the creator. He made us creative as part of being made in his image. When we use that creativity to express these prayers to God, it's like a double prayer. We are honoring God with the words that we are essentially praying to him, and we're honoring God with the way that we pray it by using our creativity to honor him. And that's really beautiful. Because we're not just praying, prayer is great, but we're praying and then we're, like, we're doing something on top of the prayer that honors God. We honor him with the words and the music. So the way we worship God through music is really beautiful, uh, particularly in this vertical sense that when I am worshiping God, it's a conversation between me and my Lord. And I get to wrap it in this music, and I get to be creative about my expression. My vertical worship between just me and God 
is really beautiful because I get to add some things on top of it that you don't get to do with, with everything. We talked when we did when we talked about the offering. I I told you a story about how a guy came to my church one time and he said, "Let's do a wave offering where you're going to take out your your check and then you're going to wave it while you walk down the aisle and put it in the plate." And I thought that that was sort of ridiculous. Um, you don't get to do performative, expressive things with all of the kinds of worship, but with music, you're supposed to. That's what it's there for. So I think it's really beautiful. Um, but when we sing together, when we sing corporately, there's another uh, horizontal sense of our worship. Because we're worshiping God, but at the same time as other people. So we get, we get this vertical worship between me and God, but then there's also this sense that we're all doing that together at the same time. And horizontally, we are worshiping God which is really beautiful. We get to say the same thing. We get to essentially pray the same prayer, united with him vertically and united horizontally together as God's people, redeemed by him, saved by him so that we can worship him. And that's something we really only get from singing together, is this powerful, observable, vertical and horizontal connection because of who God is and what he's done in our lives. We get to connect with God and each other in a really powerful way. And so instead of just talking about it, let's do it. You want to sing a song? We're going to sing a song together. As we go into the song, I want you to think about a couple things. We're going to do, we're going to do it one time through and then we're going to do it again. The first time through, I want you to think about that vertical connection that you have with God and just appreciate that God allows us to have prayer, that we get to communicate the words of this song directly to God and he hears us. And just focus on that vertical connection you have with, with God. Think about the words. Think about how they are a prayer. Ask if these are true for you. And just make this your prayer vertically with God. And then the second time through, I want you to think about how amazing it is that we're all doing this at the same time. That we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus so that we can praise him, so that we can lift his name and we can exalt him. And we're all doing that together. So focus on those two things and we're just going to sing this song. If you want to stand Stand. If you want to sit, sit. If you want to kneel, kneel. If you want to raise your hands, do whatever you think is going to honor God in this time, but make this song your prayer. For thou, O Lord, 
Thou art exalted, bar above all gods. Let's sing that again. For thou, O Lord, art high above the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. Oh I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. For thou, O Lord, art high above the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. For thou, O One last time. How cool is that? That we would know about God in such a way that we can exalt him, that he's revealed himself to us so that we know that we can exalt him and that he wants to be exalted and that he listens to us when we exalt him. It's just really beautiful that we can do that together that we can say those same things at the same time. And I don't know what God's doing in your life. You don't know what God's doing in my life. He doesn't know what God's doing in her life. But we know that we can sing to God in worship and we can say those words and mean them. There's just something really beautiful about that. That was from Psalm 97, by the way. Psalm 97, 9 
says, For thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth, and thou art exalted far above all gods. Songs are such a beautiful, powerful expression of our reverence for God and our adoration of him, how much we love him. All the more reason to be careful with how we do it and to track biblically what we're supposed to do when we sing songs to God. And yeah, there are some biblical prescriptions for how we're supposed to worship God with music. We're going to cover a couple of those this morning. The first one comes up sort of all over the place in the Bible. I'll read uh, a few verses to you and see if you can guess guess what the prescription is, okay? Ready? Psalm 96.1 says, Sing, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Psalm 40 verse 3 says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Psalm 144.9 says, I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-stringed harp I will play to you. And Isaiah 42.10 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the end of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. You catch the theme? So can you fill in that blank? Sing a new song. Sing new songs. Why? Well, because the Bible says so. That's usually enough for me. Amen? In the Bible, a new song is simply a song that's new. When David, who was a songwriter, said, let's sing a new song, he meant let's sing a song we haven't sung before. Let me write a new one. Um, Even in Revelation, the Bible says that we're going to be making and singing new songs to the Lord. These are actual songs that you have to learn. They have words. Um, When I was 15 or 16, my family moved from Washington State down to Southern California, and we went to my, my dad, I think it was mostly my dad, wanted to try out some of the famous churches in Southern California. And so uh, one Sunday, we went to the church on the way in Van Nuys, and um, that's Jack Hayford's uh, church, or was. And um, we, we go in, and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is a little bit different. We're singing songs. I'm like, yeah, this is a little bit different. And, uh, and then the worship leader, there's an instrumental break, and the worship leader says, sing a new song. And what happened? Everybody started singing whatever they wanted to sing. And I was scared to death. Because I heard songs, I mean, people were singing their favorite songs, and then people were singing, they were just making something up, and some things were not in English. I wasn't really sure what was happening. Some lady fell down in the aisle, and I went, this doesn't seem right. You know, this doesn't, I, I don't know what's happening right now, but it doesn't, it's, this, it's unsettling in my, in my heart, you know what I mean? Uh, now that I'm older and I know the Bible better than like the 15-year-old version of me, I know that the Bible says God is a God of order, not of chaos. <laughs> and I think, oh, that's why I didn't like it. It was sort of just this, it was chaotic in the moment. But a, a new song, biblically, is a, it's a new song. It's a new song. 
The point is that there's something good and God-honoring about singing new songs. I think learning a new songs can be challenging, amen? And we don't always like things that are challenging, amen? And maybe that's part of why it's good. I know that as, a, as an educator, um, what I learned was, is that a new thing, new information, something new, it uh, triggers different parts of your brain to be active. And so when you're doing something that you've done lots and lots of times before, you can sort of just go through it without really thinking about it very much. But when you have to do something that you've never done before or when you're being presented with something brand new, your brain is on high alert and you're going, what, 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 what? And you're noticing all kinds of different things. So if we do a new song and then we do a song that, that you just know and you love and you could sing with your eyes closed, because your brain is very active, you are going to engage with the song that you know and you love in a different way. And I think that's, that's really God-honoring. But really, this all comes back down to, the Bible says, sing new songs. So we're going to sing new songs. Amen? Um, at this church, at Monterey, we are going to introduce new songs. Not all the time, but strategically, and when we think it's appropriate, we're, uh, this, one of the songs we did this morning, Oh, Praise the Name, is a brand new song. We're going to learn new songs because it's good for you, because the Bible says so. And I know that maybe it's challenging. You don't like things that are challenging. I don't like things that are challenging, but it's good for you, right? So we're going to keep doing it. Okay. The other biblical prescription for music in the church is found twice in the New Testament. And I want to spend a few minutes looking at one of those passages in particular. It's in Ephesians 5. It's in your outline. It'll be on the screen, but if you, if you want to uh, crack open your Bible... Turn it to Ephesians chapter 5. Paul was writing to the Christians who were living in Ephesus. And he was explaining to them at this point in his letter how to live in a way that's pleasing to God. How to be children of light. How are we supposed to walk as children of light and please God? And, it, and that conversation leads right into verse 15 where Paul wrote, Look carefully then on how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. A couple things. Paul said that we're supposed to, in the Spirit or because of our faith, address um, or build up one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to the Lord. A quick observation, in this passage we find both the horizontal kind of worship that I was talking about and the vertical kind, because when we sing these kinds of songs to the Lord, we are addressing and building up one another, and we are uh, giving thanks to God and we are addressing these songs to God. So it's, we've got both sides of that. The other passage that, that references this same kind of thing is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. 
And it also features this same list. It says, it tells us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's got the same list, so let's unpack that a little bit. What are psalms? There's 150 of them. They're a very specific set of songs, right? We're supposed to sing those. It's good for you. What are hymns? Well, in the first century, when he was writing hymns, he didn't mean the songs that are in the book under your chair, okay? Hymns are a, a festive song, but probably an established song um, in the culture. Does that make sense? So it's, a, it's an established song, um, but it's a more general term. So psalms are a very specific set of songs. I'm going to get psalms and songs mixed up. If you think I'm misspeaking, it's just you. Um, psalms are a very specific set of songs. Hymns are a more general term for established festive songs. And spiritual songs is an even more general term for any song that is provoked by the Spirit of God. So what's the point, Daniel? Say, what's the point? What's the point? You just had the biggest yawn, buddy. I love it. The point is, we're not supposed to just sing one kind of song. That's really the point. The point isn't that you have to sing this one and this one and this one. The point is that you're not supposed to just sing one kind of song. The presence of a list that goes from really specific to really any spiritual song tells us that God wants us to sing different kinds of songs. Because two times in the New Testament... God's word tells us, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in worship. This passage in Ephesians 5 is especially interesting to me because after telling us to sing different kinds of songs, Paul then tells us to give it all in thanks to God and to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, why does he include that last part? Why would he say, oh, and by the way, Submit to one another in reverence for Christ. What is that? He's just prescribed something very diverse. And when you do that, you always run the risk of, of uh, upsetting some people. When you, when you say, hey, let's, you know, um, oh my gosh, this is going to be silly. Just follow me. You know how sometimes when someone has a birthday, we, we have cake? You know how since, uh, well, when Pastor Cohn was here, it was always vanilla cake, right? Because he hates chocolate lemon. And, and, or lemon. When I get here, it's usually chocolate or marble. Well, imagine if we had mocha cake. Who likes mocha? Okay, who would not like mocha? Yeah, so now you will walk up to me or someone else, but probably me, and say, I really don't like this mocha cake. And go, okay. And go, no, I mean, me and my friends, we don't like the mocha cake. And I go, yeah, no, I get it. You know, we don't always have mocha cake, but I don't like mocha cake either. <laughs> I don't drink coffee, uh, but some people really like it. Like, well, but we don't. But so when Paul says, hey, have different kinds of songs, He's understanding that he's asking, he's telling the church to do something 
that not every that's going to leave some people feeling like they're not getting the thing that they want all the time. So what does he say at the end? He says, he's reminding them, if you don't like some of these songs, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another, meaning don't make it about you. Recognize that there are other people that like mocha cake, right? Recognize that there are other people. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, meaning Jesus died so that other people can engage in worship and relationally connect with him. And if people are worshiping God through this song, even if you don't like it, what is the definition of worship? Anything that you do in adoration or reverence for Christ. Sometimes the most worshipful thing that you can do is to submit to other people in reverence for Christ because Jesus died for them too. And that's why Paul says at the very end of his talk about how to live and how to glorify God, don't be unwise. The days are evil. Don't spend your days worrying about stuff that doesn't matter. Spend your days doing things that try to understand God's will and try to glorify him. Don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Be filled by the Holy Spirit and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another, addressing one another, and sing them to God. And out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another, because you're not always going to get the thing that you like. And I think that's, that's really beautiful. Let's just bring it home for a minute. Here at Monterey, when we plan the worship service, one of our goals is to have music that has a pretty even balance between older songs and newer songs. Because um, I don't know any of the older songs. Uh, I'm learning them. I'm learning them. Um, but to me, the music is almost like um, when we talk to missionaries, when missionaries go into the field and they uh, are translating the Bible, you could go into, uh, you could go into southern China and you could, or, or you know, someplace in Asia, right? And you could translate, you could give them a translation of the Bible in... Um, in Mandarin, and you can give it to them, and they can read Mandarin in this tribe, but for them, Mandarin is a business language. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just like, oh yeah, I, I understand it, but they have a, a tribal language that we call their heart language, and if you can give them the Bible in their heart language, they engage with it in a completely different way. It resonates in their spirit in a different way. And I think the songs are, are really similar in that uh, the older songs for the older generations, they have a spiritual resonance where you just go, oh, I just love those. They just, they resound within me and they speak to my heart. Well, for younger people, they have that same spiritual resonance, but with newer songs. And so we have to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because that's worship. Because that's worship. And so we want to do both. So we were trying to evenly balance the older songs and the newer songs. And it's not a science. Heaven knows it's not a science. Um, but it's, it's an art. And really, 
on your end, I don't even want you to worry about that. I mean, this morning when we opened the worship set, when we sang three songs, we sang a psalm, a hymn, and we sang a contemporary spiritual song. And then we sang a psalm in the middle of the sermon, and we're going to close with a contemporary song and a hymn. We're, we're, we're balancing them. And that's what we're shooting for, is to have, is to have this balance. And we're going to do that every week. But I don't want you worrying about that. You let us take care of that. Your job in worship is just to come and worship Jesus. Amen? Just to come and worship him. And if you don't know a song, guess what? Make it a prayer. Make it a prayer. Focus on the words. Worship horizontally and appreciate that other people can engage with God through this song, people that Jesus died for. That's, that's also worship. So it's not just the music. It's, it's the fuller sense of the word in the Bible. We're going to close the service, and then there's uh, a couple things that are going to happen. I'm going to pray, um, and then uh, I'm, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So I'm going to, uh, I'll explain what that is and what that means before we do it. Um, but for right now, um, let's, let's pray. We're going to take the Lord's Supper, and then we're going to close the service. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for revealing yourself to us so that we can know that you're there, so that we can pray to you and we can praise you. We can sing songs and make beautiful music that honors you, God. Help us to see you in everything that we do. Help us to make the worship all about you. Help us to honor you with, with every breath that we breathe, God. The air that we have is yours the days that we have are yours, God. And we know that the days are evil. They're running out on us. Time is not on our side, God. Let us live every moment in a way that is maximally praising to you. God, we love you and we love what you've given us in music that allows us to praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together this morning. So over the, the next minute or so, just take, take a moment to calm your heart, to be present with God. The Lord's Supper is something that Jesus told us to do regularly. We do, uh, we do this as believers. So if you're here and you're visiting our church and you have not given your life to Jesus, when we pass the, uh, when we pass the plates around, um, just pass it. Don't, don't take anything. The Bible says that if you take it in an unworthy manner, you're, you're taking, you're basically bringing condemnation on yourself. So don't do that, okay? Um, but when we take the elements, we are recognizing the price that was paid so that we can have this fellowship together horizontally and this fellowship that we have with God vertically. And the price that was paid was Jesus on the cross. The bread, and when you get the cup, the cups are stacked. So the bread is in the bottom cup, and the juice is on the top. So when you get it, just remember um, that you've already got both of them, that we're not going to come around two times. 
The bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us, and the blood represents the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin. If you've never given your life to Jesus, today is a great day, amen? If you feel convicted in your heart that you need to be following Jesus with your life, it is just a commitment that you make to Jesus where you say, Lord, I will follow you anywhere you lead me. You give your life to Jesus, and the Bible says that if you confess with your lips that he is Lord and you believe it in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's simple, but it's not easy. But it's not easy. So if you aren't a believer, just pass it along. No one's going to look at you funny. Um, we're glad that you're here, but this is really only for those of us who are, are believers in Jesus. While the ushers are passing the plates, just use this time to get your heart right with God, to reflect on the message, um, and to be prepared to take the, the Lord's Supper together.